Welcome to Into Theology. I am joined with Ian Clary, and we're going to talk a little bit about Augustine of Hippo, and we might argue about whether or not we should call him Augustine or Augustine. I'm saying it the correct way, so it's fine. Um, we're actually going to introduce... Let me just ask you a question here. Yeah. The emperor who hmm. presides over the Council of Nicaea. What was his name again? Constantine. Not Constantin? It's Constantin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was... So it we was... say Augustine, yet Constantine, both in just... the Latin, Constantinus, Augustinus. I don't, I don't really have an argument for why I'm right, but <laughs> I am... And I believe it deep in my heart, and my heart always leads me leads me true. Um, so always, always. well, inter- Augustine says the same thing. I think uh, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna, re- uh, we're gonna read Augustine's Confessions. We're gonna use the Oxford Wor- World's Classic Edition by Henry Chadwick. Something like fifteen bucks. You can find it on anywhere. I'm sure Amazon or at your local bookstore requested. It's an affordable but good translation. And we're going to probably do one, I think there's 12 chapters or 11, I can't remember offhand. We'll do one at a time, 12, 13. I was wrong in both counts, there's 13. We'll do one chapter a week is kind of the idea, and we'll hopefully make our way through. But we wanted to kind of give you a little bit of a teaser today, a little bit of introduction to Augustine, or even just kind of talk about really why we want to read him and why this book in particular. So Ian, you were mentioning that you've taught a little bit on Augustine, so why don't, and you've actually published on him. So why don't you give us like the one minute uh, elevator pitch for who Augustine is and what this book's about. Sure. I mean, I always tell my students that that uh, Confessions is one of your bucket list books uh, as a Christian that you should read by the time you die. If you haven't read it, I, always, I tell them you have lived an impoverished Christian life if you have not read this book. So us now going through, it'll be my third time through. Uh, I did a course on him with Dr. Haken years and years ago where we had to read it. I read it again just for my own self. And so now we're doing it. Uh, and yeah, I teach on on him in my intro to philosophy class here at CCU. And uh, one of the things that I think uh, sort of tells me why this would be a likely book for our culture to read together uh, on a podcast like this is just the impact that he has on my students consistently. Every time I give a biographical story, uh, they immediately can relate to him. You know, he's got the grow up in a Christian home. Uh, he's got an unbelieving dad, a Christian mom. There's kind of conflict within the home. The dad's aloof. Uh, his dad doesn't really kind of treat him right. He goes off to university. It's this, he calls it a hissing cauldron of lust in Carthage. He completely loses his faith. He gets in with a weird hipster cult called the Manichees, hangs with them because he thinks they're going to solve the problem of evil for him, which they can't do. So then he's despondent. He becomes a skeptic, gets saved from skepticism intellectually by the Neoplatonists. They then become like the springboard for him as he becomes a Christian once he goes to Milan. He's got all these aspirations for a career that all come crashing to a halt when he gets saved, comes under the mentorship of of Ambrose, gets baptized, doesn't want to go into ministry, and then he gets basically press-ganged into ministry by the the Bishop of Hippo at the time, forcibly becomes a pastor, then becomes one of the most important spiritual and theological and philosophical writers in history. Uh, writing spiritual classics like Confessions, but also writing major philosophical works like works on the problem of the freedom of the will, political theology like City of God. He's involved in all sorts of controversies, uh, defending the faith against pagans who are accusing the Christians of being behind the destruction of Rome to 
you know, going after the former group that he was part of, the Manichees, uh, arguing for the goodness of the material creation. That's why he writes like three major works on, uh, on Genesis, including some in the Confessions. Uh, and then when he finally dies, um, so he, <laughs> there's other stuff, this weird love story. He's got a concubine he's with for 20 years, never names her. It's his mother that forces her away. He's had a kid with her. The kid dies. I mean, the guy's got this like really tumultuous life maintaining his faith and growing in his faith through the whole thing such that by the time he dies, his city of Hippo is being attacked uh, by barbarian hordes. Uh, and he dies with the penitential Psalms pasted on the walls around him. And he, and, he, and he basically dies in a state of repentance. I mean, it's just such an awesome story. And so much of it is articulated in the confessions, at least the early part of his life is articulated. And there's just such a, you know, the students just have such a visceral reaction to him. So I, I really think that it's it's this will be a worthwhile uh, study to do for sure. Yeah, I think it looks like the confessions are written sometime around 400. He dies at 430. Yeah, this is like it's pretty early. It's well, yeah, in terms of his life, he's already a Christian. And part of this, too, in my understanding, is there's a lot of rumors kind of going around about him. And this is almost a way to to like say, yes, I am a sinner. And yet. God has forgiven me. Yeah. It's even interesting. Like, I think this, this cover image of the Oxford edition is interesting. Yeah. You have this long haired, uh, hippie Young fellow guy. crying yeah. under a, a pear tree. Yeah. And, uh, well, that gets I, us into like the whole, like, I mean, this, this discussion that's been happening for the last number of years over Christian Platonism. Mm -hmm. He's the quintessential Christian Platonist or Neoplatonist. And you see it in the confessions, right? It starts off in the sensible world. Maybe we'll, we'll, we can lay out maybe as an intro, like how the Neoplatonist view of reality works. It starts out in the sensible world, right? Where he's got these pairs that he's stolen with his friends, this, the thrashers. Uh, and then he, the, the whole confessions is like a Neoplatonist movement from the sensible world up through to union with the one, which happens in his conversion in the Garden of Milan. So but then there's all the biblical imagery of the of the pear, the garden. There's another garden. You know, I mean, there's there's such such rich imagery that you will never do justice to it. Well, I don't know about you. I think I'm going to do justice to it. But <laughs> I no, no. I, this is kind of one of the books that has stood the test of time for about 1,600 years. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. There are certain books that are just continually generative of important ideas and thoughts and feelings this is one of them it's also pretty unique like i think in the history of books there there are lots of like biographies there's people that communicate personal letters and so on but i think like as a sort of spiritual biography i'm not sure there's too much before augustine like that maybe Gre gregor of nazianzus in his personal letters a little in his uh, poetry rather a maybe. little bit but this, this is, is a, unique. Scholars agree. This is like, a, it is a unique, it's a unique literary genre. Nobody had done it before. In the ancient world, it was sort of seen as, and especially in the medieval period, really seen as like, this is like, you don't write about yourself. You're self-aggrandizing if you write an autobiography or a memoir. So he does it and it's kind of like earth shattering. Mm. And, and nobody really understands, I don't think, or at least there's varying take, very good takes on what genre this is. What is it? Is it a prayer? Is it a Neoplatonist tract? Is it a bio autobiography? Uh, I mean, you get to the end of it all, and the last couple of chapters are all on like time and memory and really intense stuff that like almost doesn't seem to fit, even though it totally does, but it doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the with the uh, 
the work. So it's 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 really a, a really incredible book. I may be a little bit like under under researched on like all the different genre, but I guess the way I read it is it's it's a prayer to God, which is like a Socratic di- or a Platonic dialogue, but the partner is God and Augustine, and yep. Augustine's dialogue partner is basically scripture so he opens the psalms and in a sense himself as he explores who he is in in creation so it's kind of like paragraph yeah so like uh the psalms say you know uh, oh my soul why are you downcast so it's it draws on the psalmist who talks to himself but it also draws on being a christian where you pray to god so it is both it's through and through scriptural and then when i think of so it's a prayer at least maybe that's not the best genre but it is a prayer through the entire thing. Oh, it's hundred percent a prayer for sure. Basically a platonic dialogue, but with revelation as being the answer or rather, yeah, revelation uh, rather than reason primarily, although he of course reasons, but then the mode of reasoning I would say is something more like faith seeking understanding that kind of hundred percent, hundred percent. Whereas if you read uh, Plato's dialogues, um, yeah, there's religion, there's a belief in God there, but it's basically a dialectic or a dialogue where two people reason together and come to sound conclusion on the basis of what they can infer on through unchangeable principles. Yeah. But Augustine is kind of saying, like at the beginning, even the first chapter, who are you, God? <laughs> what are yeah. you? Yeah. And he's like, I don't know, but I accept what you say in scripture. You've revealed yourself to me. And it's faith seeking understanding through a conversation with God through prayer. And I think it's useful for a christian to think through like how to pray like how to commune with god i mean i I think it's really interesting like so justin martyr when he talks with a fellow named trifo the jewish fellow uh, justin says i went through all the different philosophies and found platonism and then he says platonism's main point was to know god so i wanted to know god justin says but it wasn't until he meets a christian who tells him about scripture and he says look the the person he meets i we actually know god because i i know prophets who have met god and they tell you who he is or they spoke with god rather uh and it's revelation and i think augustine is sort of like this book's almost a platonic dialogue whose foundation is revelation and prayer to god rather than a reasonable conversation between two people where your kind of big brain gets you the answer to things it's humble it's a contingent it is relying entirely on god to reveal truth to you through scripture and through prayer and through contemplation yeah contemplation is the key word for sure. This is contemplative theology right there that you'll see the rest of the Christian tradition just completely pull from. Uh, if you read like Bonaventure's Journey of the Mind Towards God, that's a contemplative contemplative theology done in this in the tradition of Augustine that's set forth here in Confessions. And uh, you could, you know, all the way through the whole tradition. I mean, we were just in Calvin. Like how often does Calvin pull from, from Augustine? I mean, it's this is going to be really a fun book. I think it's going to help articulate like under understanding of what Christian conversion looks like too. Uh, the garden experience in Milan is really, really incredible. Like when you dive into it, it's just like every time I'm, I'm, I'm showing it to my students, I'm always blown away by it. Even though I know what's coming, I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. You know what? I think it's really useful, that illustration, to illustrate this point. I think a lot of us today at least think our conversion is mainly intellectual. We're kind of Platonists yeah. in that sense. Yeah. Now, Augustine- Or, or Cartesian. Or maybe. Cartesian, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, that might, yeah. But the point is, it, it, I meant more like we're using our big brains, kind mm-hmm. of the idea. Whereas Paul, the apostle, is converted by an experience of the risen Christ. Yeah. And then I think Luke 24, the road to Emmaus, 
shows us that we should all be we should all be converted by an experience of Christ. It's just that is mediated in Scripture, and then the breaking of bread, the experience of the yeah, Lord's yeah. Supper. I think Augustine is doing a similar thing. He obviously seeks after God through Platonism, Manichaeism, etc., through a literal, uh, you know, gets turned off by a literal interpretation of Scripture. But he actually finds that when he looks at Scripture as a word to him and for him, that converts his soul. It's an experience, I think, of Christ in, in Scripture speaking to him. It's an and intervention. So, it's, it's really it's divine, an intervention. Like when, intervention. You look, when you look at the language that he uses now, we're going to use the Chadwick, which is awesome. I mean, Henry Chadwick was like a first rate patristic scholar in the UK. I think he's passed now. The whole Chad, Chadwick family were remarkable as histor church historians. Owen Chadwick, Nora, Henry. And uh, so his the Oxford World Classics is a fantastic translation. His introduction to it is really good, too. Um, I, I was... Uh, when I did the course with Dr. Haken, um, he likes the uh, one in the Penguin series by R.S. Pine Coffin. And I like it just because of the guy's last name. <laughs> His last name's Pine Coffin. Like, right. Better than that. Right. Yeah. So I that's wonder... the one I'm that's the one I'm most familiar with. Um, and then there's some other really great translations that have just come out as well. Right. Um, but so so, you know, in the in the conversion experience in the garden, when he talks about how like all this sin is like pulling at the garment of his flesh, he says. He describes them as mere trifles. Yet meanwhile, he's like smashing his head. He's curled up in a fetal position. Uh, he can't get over himself. And then he recognizes, but these stupid things that are pulling at me are mere trifles. I can't, I'm not, I don't have the will and the power to even get over that. Uh, and so it requires that divine intervention. So where does it come from? Oh, it's this kid that walks by singing some song that he feels then compelled to go pick up Romans. And reads Romans 13 and boom, gets saved, you know? Um, so, I mean, oh, like, yeah, we'll, we'll have a lot of fun with this book, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Uh, and the translations are, are interesting, but I'm sure you'll be reading directly from the Latin and spot the, translation. I'll, get the, I'll use the Loeb classics and yes. do some site translation there. That's yeah, the thing. We, <laughs> it's like, I mean, my Latin sucks, but like, uh, even if I had good Latin, it would still be really hard because he was, such, he was a trained rhetorician. Like, that's his, that's his training. And so like, man, like his Latin would just be, it's, if you were fluent in Latin, you would appreciate the beauty with the way he writes. Um, yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot to say about this that I think is going to be really, really fun and, and relatable. I have a feeling it could be more than 13 weeks. And the reason I say that, not, not, uh, maybe not the many time more. stuff, time and memory stuff at the end is going to be really difficult to work through. I actually think book one might take two and the reason i was just kind of looking at it, i mean he opens with so many concepts even just the idea of unchanging some things and then changeable existence what you mentioned of course like uh what you said neoplatonism i yes it's platonism but it's like central questions about like our existence is so fragile and changing and there's suffering and, and all this happens like what is it that provides stability our yeah. life the psalmist says psalm 144 we're like a breath and we're yeah. like a moving shadow. But James tells us that God is not like that. He's not like a shifting shadow. He's unchanging. Yep. And I think Augustine, in his search for something real, like you know, to go to the Manichees to figure out, you know, what, what bad things happen to good people. I mean, that's not quite it, but you get my point. Like the problem it is, it is that. Okay, yeah. good. Okay. It kind of is. Yeah. But it, th these, these huge questions, but you know, at the end of the day, he's, he's looking for something and, I better read the, this famous sentence because I think it just kind of sums it up. So he starts with the Psalms and then uh, comes to conclude. 
You stir men to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. So I actually find like that search. I mean, I think most of us have that. We might just use different language. Like you you just want something stable. You want to find a home to live in. You want a job that's not, you know, that's going to provide for, whatever it is. We have all this kind of expectation of hope. And yet we live in a highly mobile age where every, like there's a gig economy technology is new every day we're always renting moving airbnb everything seems like it's in flux like you can't step into the same airbnb twice or something and um it's a, it's a 21st century uh, update on heraclitus there, there or heraclitus go. sorry <laughs> um is it thales or heraclitus oh, whatever it doesn't it's matter. heraclitus yeah okay yeah. um ponta yeah. ray everything is in flux okay and yet he, he's really looking for something that is that goes beyond the sort of sensible experience. And by sense, you know, you mentioned earlier, what's sight, what you hear, what you feel. Well, Jesus says God is spirit in John 4, 24. You don't see God with your eyes unless he incarnates, but generally speaking, you don't see him, um, but he exists and he's real. I mean, Hebrews 11 talks about faith as basically having a conviction of things that are unseen. And, but those are stable and real things. They might even be if I was to quote the arch Christian Platonist, C.S. Lewis, more real than the world around us. That's right. What's really real. I don't know if I'm actually quoting him, but <laughs> alluding to something that he maybe said one time that's in my memory somehow. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Do you have any last minute thing you want to say about Augustine? Yeah, his book, this book is one of those that's entirely relevant all the time. Um, <laughs> it is. It's, it's, it's got this transcending quality about it, right? Like you think about how dominant his thought was in the Middle Ages, the Reformation, it's just, is an Augustinian tradition. Uh, you could look at modern philosophy, right? Uh, think of somebody like um, Derrida, who's very, very heavily, heavily indebted to Augustine. Descartes in the, in the early modern period, another strong Augustinian. Now he's obviously, they're, they're taking different angles on him that we might not want to go with. You know, I remember a number of years ago, like 20 years ago, the French actor, you probably don't even remember who he was, uh, Gerard Depardieu, that guy is like this big kind of blustery French actor that was like, Dude, I'm like 19 for, years old. I have no idea. Yeah. He's like known for drinking and womanizing. And then he did like a world tour where he read confessions. That was it. He'd just get people together in a theater. He'd just sit there and just select a section of confessions and just read it, <laughs> you know? So it's got this like kind of everlasting quality to it. Mm. It also seems very Platonist, doesn't it? <laughs> Platonist. Yes. Uh, one day we should do a, episodes on hebrews <laughs> and shadows and reality yeah yeah um that'd be fun that would be fun that, that could actually fit maybe we we'll can do that after confessions okay i'm excited to work through confessions we're going to uh, create like a reading uh kind of program and some graphics for this and probably we got one this, more calvin one more calvin. we got one more calvin we're going to finish on calvin but when this episode comes out i think we'll we might depending on how the time works that we might save this to release it right after we do our Kelvin one. Oh, okay. Or we could do it maybe on or before, I guess I'll figure that out this week and then edit this last little bit <laughs> and then out. edit this last bit out <laughs> or keep it because for hey, the hilarity for the hilarity. All right. See you next time. Cheers.